So we're finishing up our God Family Sermon Series, um, Luke 8, and um, this whole time we've been talking about how, how God is generous and how he just gladly wants to give his love to each one of us, that he just is constantly giving his love, and that he desires us to, to um, receive his love and to embrace it. And it's really a choice that he gives us, that we are given that choice and, and so, you know, as, and we talk about, like, you know, whether we're on the, you know, on this trajectory of, of receiving that, whether we're, you know, the people who are just kind of, like, open to it or curious about it or people who have just been committed followers for a long time, we're on this trajectory of just trusting in God and becoming part of his family. And I'm probably breaking all the rules, like, you know, if there's books on preaching and this is what you should do, have a good sermon, I'm probably breaking all of them. I just had to be honest with you that this topic, what we're talking about today, has was really challenging for me. And that just in the past month, I feel like it's hard. Like, I've had six or seven friends who have lost loved ones. And some of them, um, their loved ones have been, you know, have passed because they've been sick for a long time. And some of them are, is just like, unexpected and just very tragic and so for me you know it's just been really emotionally hard and I remember a couple weeks ago we went to a, a memorial service for one of our friends dad and it, was, it happened to be the day on the very day that my dad passed away 18 years ago and so I just remember like, as we were sitting there waiting for the service to start I remember just like what it was like, you know, when my dad was sick. He was in the hospital for a week, and, and he was going to have this procedure. You know, he'd been through a lot of procedures, but this was going to be for his heart. And, and I remember, you know, my brother and my sister coming over, and, and um, we decided we we're going to pray. And we're just going to, we're just, we're choosing to pray. We're just going to go before God. And, and so we, we prayed together, and we said, you know, Lord, if, you know, if you could heal him, if this procedure could go well, and he could be okay, you know, we thank you. But then we also chose to say, you know, if, if it doesn't go well, then we are going to trust in your presence and your power to get us through that. And then a few hours later, you know, we lost him. And I remember just the weeks after that of just the unbearable and just overwhelming sense of sadness and fear and grief, just waves coming over me at the most inopportune, unexpected times, you know, like when you're at the store, it's like, how embarrassing is this? And it's just, but I remember that they would pass. But it was just a very difficult time where we had to choose, or like every day, every moment was just a choice to have faith and trust in God. And it's so, it's like amazing to me. I've been thinking this whole month about how death, it just shakes our world. It turns us upside down. Like it's just weird, right, to think that this person who is so important and so vital to your life is just gone. And it's hard for us to, to you know, for our heads and, and for our hearts to like think about this, you know, to wrap our minds around this, wrap our hearts around this. And so if you, if you kind of get what I'm talking about, then you, you kind of get how Jairus was feeling. And that's who we're talking about in Luke 8. 
Jairus was a leader, a prominent leader of the synagogue. He, he was the epitome of, like, his job was to oversee everything. And, and he was the epitome of, like, you know, what's impure and what's pure, what's clean and what's unclean. And, and that was just, like, his whole world. But he had a 12-year-old daughter who was sick, who was dying. And while Jairus should have been thinking about, you know, dowries and betrothals, he was worried that his daughter was going to die. And so he hears that Jesus is coming from, you know, across the Sea of Galilee, and he'd, he'd been dealing with demons and pigs, and he, you know, he heard that Jesus was coming, and, and so he goes, he chooses to go see Jesus. And there's this big crowd, and, and he's fighting his way. He's pressing his way through the crowd. And when he sees Jesus, he falls on the ground, and he begs Jesus to come with him, to come and help him. And Jesus, you know, when he sees Jairus, he has compassion on him. And he doesn't say a word. Luke doesn't, doesn't record any words, but Jairus, he knows. I mean, Jesus, Jairus knows that Jesus is going to go with him. And so they start heading home, and they start going through the crowd, and and as they're going there, as Kotz talked about so well last week, that, that right, there's a woman who, who touches him. But he doesn't know that yet, right? But they're in the crowd. They're making their way to Jairus' home, and, and someone touches Jesus. And Jesus is like, wait, let's stop. Can you imagine if you're Jairus, like, come to, my you know, come to my home. My daughter's dying. And wait, you want to stop? Someone touched you? There's a crowd around you, of course. You know, I'm mean, using exactly what the disciples were thinking, right? But Jesus, you know, he's like, wait, who touched me? Because he knows that someone touched him. He knows that power has left him, and he wants to know who they are. And he's looking around, right, as, as Katz talked about last week. And finally, you know, the, this woman who's been unclean for 12 years, who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's a, um, like a woman of low status, she confesses that she's the one who's done it. And as Jesus is telling her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Someone from Jairus' home comes and finds Jairus. And at the same time says, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. And if you can imagine how Jairus' heart must have just dropped to the ground. And how sad he must have felt. And how all hope that he had in Jesus, you know, to heal her has just, was just gone. But we're going to look at Luke 8, 50 to 56 to see um, how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he replied, do not fear. Only believe and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. And they were all weeping and wailing for her. But he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called out, get up, child. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And then he directed them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astounded. But he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be saved. You see, God is always, always giving away his love. 
And we see that in Jesus' words and his compassion and his empathy. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. The Greek word used here for believe is that word. <laughs> and it has something to do, included in this word is this idea of your will, of like you have a choice. Unlike we talked about before how faith is given to you, this, this is like trust in me. It's not, it's, this, is, this is part of our will. We can choose to trust in him. This is where we take responsibility and we have ownership for our faith. And so he said, you know, don't fear, but choose to trust in me. Choose to have faith in me. Jairus seems to have made that choice, right? He's like, oh, no, you know, my daughter's gone. And Jesus says, do not fear, but only believe. And then he starts heading towards Jairus' home. He doesn't say, teacher, teacher, you know, let's okay, it's too late, it's over. He follows Jesus, you know, and he goes with him to his home. He doesn't try to stop Jesus from going. And when they get to his house, this part is kind of confusing, and the scholars say that Luke kind of moved things around to create the drama, but Jesus goes and he sees, you know, she's, she's gone and the mourners are already crying and, and they're there. And Jesus is like, don't weep, do not weep. And he does this little wordplay when he says that she's asleep. And this other word that's in Greek for asleep, it literally can mean that she's asleep. But can also be used figuratively that can mean death. And so when he says, you know, um, do, do not weep because she's just, you know, she's not dead. She's just asleep. There's this group of, of mourners who are just like, what? Like they don't, they choose not to believe in what Jesus is saying. And they mock him and they laugh at him. And some people say because he mocked, uh, the people mocked Jesus, that that's why Jesus only allowed um, James, John, and Peter, and Jairus and Jairus' mother into the room where the girl was. And here's Jairus, if you can imagine, right? His whole job is to, to you know, what's clean and unclean, and that's all he thinks about. And they go into the room where the, where the girl is, where she's dead, and Jesus walks in, and he, like, doesn't worry about the boundaries that are set, but he goes in and he touches, he intentionally touches her hand. Unlike the bleeding woman who, you know, she tries to grab him and touch him, he intentionally touches her. He crosses the boundaries. And at the sound of his voice, she immediately gets up. She's alive. She's been resuscitated. And she, you know, Jesus is like, go give her food, like, you know, make her a meal, go eat with her. Because that is a sign that she is alive, that she's oh, part of their family again, and that she's part of God's family. That her healing was, um, it was a physical healing, but it was also a spiritual healing. And Jairus and his wife were astonished. Can you imagine this happen? It's like this amazing, best thing that ever happened in your life. And Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. Like, how can you not tell anybody? <laughs> right? It's exciting. You, you just want to tell the world. But he says, don't tell anybody. And so divine healing, like Jairus' daughter experienced, you know, it's rare. We pray for it all the time. But we don't really see it that much in our Western culture. And honestly, I can't, you know, there's no way that we can explain why some people are healed 
and why some people aren't. It has nothing to do with our faith and how much faith we have. I feel like a lot of times churches will put that kind of blame and guilt on us, but it has nothing to do with it. We don't know why. But what we do know is that God's power and his presence is seen in the healing, but we also see God's power and his presence when we have, when we don't see the healing, when people that we love pass. We see his presence and his power so deeply in how he walks with us and pours out his love to us as we go through the grieving period and as we, we feel those overwhelming waves of sadness. His presence, his power is there, especially even more so. But what we do know about the divine healing is that it's a sign, it's a sacrament to, to what God has for the future like, and, and what he has for now, what we call experiencing heaven together, that when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, we know that his kingdom is breaking in. We see it. That's the glimpse that we have, the sign that gives us hope and that the good father's always giving away his love and he desires us to receive it and to embrace it. And we have the choice to do that. Jairus' daughter's resuscitation was a hidden event. And as I was thinking about how do I want to close this up, I was looking for a quote. And then I found this a marvelous quote by Henry Nowen, who just summed up my message perfectly so I didn't have to do it. So we're going to read his quote because this week, all I had to do was pretty much read what he wrote, and that would have been the sermon. But he sums it out this way. Jesus didn't rise from the grave to baffle his opponents, to make a victory statement, or to prove to those who crucified him that he was right after all. Jesus rose as a sign to those who had loved him and followed him that God's divine love is stronger than death. To the women and men who had committed themselves to him, he revealed that his mission had been fulfilled. To those who shared in his ministry, he gave the sacred task to call all people into the new life with him. The world didn't take notice. Only those whom he called by his name, with whom he broke bread, and to whom he spoke words of peace were aware of what happened. Still, it was this hidden event that freed humanity from the shackles of death. You see, divine healing is like, much like communion, what we're going to do today. It's a sacrament and a sign of Jesus' kingdom is here now. It's a sign of his resurrection. It's a sign of God's love, that Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection, that he is willing to come down and live with us and dirty his hands intentionally and deliberately so that we can see God's love. And so I'm going to ask the, um, the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come. And, and as we think about taking communion, think of it as God's gift and his love that he would want to send his son to us to give us life, that he gave his life so that we could have life, that, that this is his generous offer of love for us, and that our sharing in communion is our is our um, response to him, that it's our way of receiving 
and embracing his love. That is our way of acknowledging that, you know what, we have a choice. And we're going to choose to, maybe your choice is, I'm going to find out more about who this God is. Or maybe it's, oh, I'm, I, you know, I want to commit, you know, I want to go, I want to love God more. Or I'm going to commit to follow him in a deeper way. Or, you know, it's, it's just our response to his love and how we want to embrace and receive his love.